you'll permit me before I begin the lesson tonight, or this morning, I'd like to use an object illustration. I woke up early this morning thinking about the weather and uh, thinking about my childhood. Many of you know I grew up on a car lot. My father was a car dealer. And one of the jobs that I was assigned whenever the weather would be predicted to be like it is going to be this week was I had to go and raise the hood on every car, open every radiator, and take a little tester like this to check and be sure if it had enough antifreeze in it because if not, the water in the block can freeze, burst the block, and you can have a several at that time, $100 repair, several thousand dollar repair today. And uh, I thought, I'm going to be doing something similar to that this morning. You see, the truth is, is that I have a tester. But I'm not testing antifreeze, I'm testing people's lives. And what I'm trying to do is to make sure that everybody is tested according to the standard. There's an objective standard there. And just like then, if something happened, I was going to be held responsible. Why didn't you put more antifreeze in that car? I will be held accountable for what I say today. I stand accountable to the God of heaven. In James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Be not many of you teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. So I have to be careful what I say and make sure that I present to you the whole counsel of God so that you can be able to see whether or not, not whether you have antifreeze, but add a fire. You don't want to go and burn in hell. This morning, I'm going to begin a series of lessons. They're going to come from the prophet Amos. A few months ago, I preached a series of lessons from the prophet Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of the heart and the holiness of God. He showed us both sides of God. He showed us how that God truly does care and is, has a compassionate heart toward his sinful people. But God is also a God of holiness and justice. Amos has a little bit different direction from him. He's often referred to as the country prophet. And I want to begin by pointing out, I think a lot about role models. I look at our young people and we need to think about the kind of role models they have. But I also think about those of us who are preachers. Who are our role models? To whom do we look and say, I want to be like them? Should it be the current successful preachers? Should it be those who've been able to move into local churches and be able to work with them and baptize a lot of people to be able to take those who are weak and struggling and strengthen them? Possibly. But what about the prophets of old? This past week I've been reading again the book of Hebrews for two reasons. Number one, we'll be finishing up that book on our Monday morning Bible class next Monday morning, not tomorrow, a week from tomorrow, but also for personal enrichment. And when you come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, 
and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also David, Samuel, and the prophets. Now notice what he says about them. Who through face of due kingdom worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight armies of aliens. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in goat skins and sheep skins, or sheep skins and goat skins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Now here's the key words of whom the world was not worthy. You see, who do I want to be like? I ought to want to be like those faithful prophets of old who stood forth and declared God's divine message to a world that really needed it. And thus we're going to study some lessons from the country prophet Amos. And I will tell you, this lesson is more of an introduction, but I, I hope that it can have some, some benefit or value for us. And so what we're going to look at, four things. We're going to look at his name, his occupation, the times in which he prophesied, and then some application or edification from which we can draw from that. Let's begin, first of all, with his name. Today we look and we name our children after some movie star or after whatever is the most popular name that's being used. But in biblical times, they would name children after an important event or after an important meaning. For instance, let me give you a couple of illustrations. You remember when Jacob and Esau were born? Genesis 25 says the first came out red he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Esau means hairy. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so they called his name Jacob. The name Jacob means supplanter, somebody reaching up to grab and get someone else's place. So you name someone after something that means something. Or do you remember when we studied Hosea? Chapter 1, verses 6 and 9, as Gomer gives birth to her children, names are assigned to those, children's that have, those children that have meaning. For instance, in verse 6, And she conceived again and bore a daughter, and then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Rahama, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Lo-Rahama means no mercy. God says, I really don't have any pity on them. But verse 9 says, God said, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Can you imagine naming a child not mine? But that's exactly what God ordered Hosea to do with regards to that son that was born to him. Well, you think about the name of Amos, and it means a burden bearer. It's like a person has a load. They have a burden that has to be borne, and he has to carry that for someone. Let's say, for instance, you're here this morning, one of you ladies, and let's say you're having a difficult time getting around and you say, I have a satchel there. We're not going to call it a purse. We're going to call it a satchel and say, I need some help. Can you help carry that for me? 
I need someone to bear my burden. That's what the name Amos means, to bear a burden. But what burden is he bearing? What load is he carrying? It is the message of God that people need. He's not the only one. Listen to Nahum 1 and verse 1. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Habakkuk 1.1, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Malachi 1.1, the burden which of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Do you see the prophets were people who carried a load for God. But you say, what, what do you, why not call it a burden? Why not call it a delight? In Jeremiah chapter 20 beginning with verse 7. He said, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You were stronger than I, and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will not be forgotten. Do you understand it is a burden to take God's word to a needy people who many times do not want it. They do not appreciate it. They do not value it. And yet you still have to take it to them. You still have to preach it even when they don't want it and they don't like it. But let me, second of all, talk to you about the occupation of Amos. Brother Jared read just a few moments ago from Amos 1, verse 1, and Amos chapter 7, verse 14. I want to put them back on the screen for you. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa. You drop down to verse 14 of chapter 7. Then Amos said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. The first word is sometimes translated shepherd. That's not really the most accurate term. It is more accurate to say that he was a sheep breeder. Not a sheep tender, but a sheep breeder. But the one in chapter 7 and verse 14, I believe is even mistranslated by the New King James. Because a part of the root word is the word for cattle. So he's talking about not breeding sheep, but being a herdsman, one who tends cattle. So he tends part of the year doing sheep, part of the year with cattle, and then he says he was a tender of sycamore fruit. 
Sycamore fruit is much like the fig. It's found on a tree. If a human wants to eat it, generally they have to take and cut the outer part of the shell to allow it to ripen more on the inside. But more often than not, it was used for fodder for the animals. A good picture of it is found on the screen in front of you. That's a sycamore tree. And uh, if you get a little closer and you look at the fruit on it, you can tell it looks a lot like a fig and uh, was often, again, I said, fed to the animals. But what this means is, is that he was a common laborer. That means he was not a man who had gone to some sort of training program to try to be able to uh, live above the people. He didn't do that. He was from among the people. In fact, he goes on to say, I was not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Sometimes we don't appreciate the fact, but in the Old Testament, there were two training schools, one at Bethel and another at Jericho, evidently to train the prophets because during the days of Elijah and Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, he says, now the Sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha. Verse 5, now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha. You see, he said, I'm not a part of them. I'm just an everyday man. I'm just a man from the country who works with breeding sheep. I'm a man who came from the country who tends cattle. I am a man who came from the country who handles sycamore fruit. I'm not anybody special. I am somebody ordinary, but I am bearing the burden and carrying God's word. But he was a prophet to Israel, even though Tekoa was in Judah. Tekoa is about six miles south of Bethlehem. For those of you who've been to Israel, some of you have, it's right near the Herodium. It's about 12 miles from Jerusalem south, and it's 22 miles to Bethel. So if you want to compare it, from here to the high school would be to Bethlehem. From here to Morrison would be about to Jerusalem, and here to Manchester would be from Tekoa to Bethel. The third thing that I think is very important is to see the times in which you prophesied. You know, a lot of times when we're reading and studying our Bibles, we don't realize that they lived during a time period where the leaders were important men who influenced the way things were going. He was, according to Amos chapter 1 and verse 1, prophesying in the days of Uzziah king of Judah and Jeroboam the son of Joash king of Israel. When you think about Uzziah, the Bible pictures him as a pretty good king. Not great, but pretty good. A man who tried to walk in the paths of David. But one thing you will notice about him as he gets older, near the end of his reign, he becomes arrogant in 2 Chronicles 26. But when his strong, he was strong, his heart lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Of course, if you go on and read the passage, I'm going to have to summarize it due to time. He goes in, he's going to do it, and the, uh, 
priests oppose him, 80 of them, and he, they say, you've got to get out of here. He continues to go on and try to offer that offering, and leprosy breaks out on him, became the leper to the rest of his life. Here's a man who was ruling fairly good, but allowed arrogance to overtake him, but much different in the north. Jeroboam, which is Jeroboam the second, not the first one. And this is the son of Joash, and he was the king. And according to Amos 7, verse 11, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. To tell them that may have sounded like a ridiculous statement then. Jeroboam is going to die by the sword. That means he's going to be killed. He's going to be murdered. But Israel, the northern kingdom, this powerful nation, is going to be taken captive. And you can say, well, why was all that so significant? Well, let me add one third thing, and then I'm going to explain it. The third thing, he said, was two years before the earthquake. There are many things that were used as landmarks to mark time. But the earthquake that occurred during the reign of Uzziah was so dramatic that it was remembered 300 years later during the prophecy of Zechariah. 300 years later, he says, as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Imagine an event so dramatic in our history and our country that it was remembered 300 years later. What kind of things do we remember 300 years? Maybe the establishment of our country, things such as that. But it's something great to take that kind of notice. But let me point out to you that as you read and study the background behind the book of Amos, it was a time which Judah and Israel both were very powerful they had a lot of prosperity. We're going to study more about the kind of food they ate and the kind of lifestyle they lived in a future lesson. But let me point out to you at this point, just briefly, how strong they were. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, wall of Jebna, wall of Ashdod, and he built cities all around Ashdod among the Philistines. Pause with me for just a moment. This is one of their enemies. He's able to go and break their wall cities' walls down. He's able to go in and build little satellite towns around them. He's going to overtake them. Drop down to verse 8. Also among the Ammonites he brought you, uh, tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. Southern kingdom, powerful, mighty. But now what about the northern kingdom? Well, I'm going to go ahead and skip this because of this passage here. There's just so much information. I do want to make emphasis on verse 15. He said he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men to be on towers, the corners, battering rams. He was a powerful, uh, creative type person. But when you think about the northern kingdom, he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arba, according to the word of the Lord. 
And then you drop down to verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might, how he made war, how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus and Hamath, which belonged to Judah. Here's a man who is strong and powerful. Now you say, what's the significance of pointing that out? Because this poor little country prophet Amos, who is only a sheep breeder, a herdsman, and a tender of sycamore fruit, is going to go and confront Jeroboam. And he is going to tell him, here is the message from God. But then Amos is going to focus on the sinful neighbors, the people round about. And you can say, well, why, why would he want to do that? Why, what's the significance of that? Let me point out to you, Deuteronomy 18.9, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. When you get there, when you settle among, you're going to have Philistines around you. You're going to have Syrians to the north. You're going to have Edomites, Ammonites, and Moabites to your south and to your east. Don't learn all these nations' things. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 2, Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. God is saying, don't allow yourself to be influenced by those nations that surround you. Now, folks, you need to think about that because many times in this world we look at ourselves and we say, you know what, We're, you know, we all have to be a part of this world of nations. We all have to be peaceful in the sense that we agree with whatever they want to believe and whatever they want to teach. Not so from the Old Testament. Amos chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles there, we're going to view chapter 1 for just a moment. I'm going to go through it very swiftly. I want to point out to you that there are going to be six nations that he is going to address that are surrounding them. The first three are going to be Gentile nations, foreigners, if you will. The second three are going to be genetic family, that is, those people who were related to Israel. If you put them on a map, you can look and see Syria at the north, Phoenicia to the west and north, and then Philistia to the south and the west. If you look to the east, going south, you will have Ammon, Moab, and Edom. And that's the nations he's going to look at. In Damascus, or Syria, in verses 3 through 5, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with instruments or implements of iron. He looks at them and he says, They were cruel people. They took threshing instruments bladed instruments, and they threshed or sliced the people up. You think about how cruel that is. Gaza or Gaza. This area of the Philistines. Verses 6 through 8. For three transgressions of Gaza, for four, I will not turn away its punishment. 
because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. What this means is they would go in and they would take captive a whole city, a whole town, a whole people and sell them to Edom. They were slave traders of God's people. The third one is found in Tyre, the Phoenicians, in verses 9 and 10. For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn away his punishment because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Hiram had made a covenant with Solomon. They didn't remember it like the Philistines. They had taken people captive and sold them to the Edomites. But then you think about the three family members, if you will, genetics. You have the Edomites in verses 11 and 12. For thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four I will not turn away its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. He, his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. The Edomites were family. But the Edomites pursued with the sword. We'll talk in just a moment a little more about this. The Ammonites, verses 13 through 15. For three transgressions for the people of Ammon, for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead that they may enlarge their territory. They took and physically mutilated pregnant women just because they wanted more territory, aggressive and oppressive. And then finally, the Moabites, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Do you realize they desecrated the king of Edom? They took the man, not only killed him, but then they took his bones and burned them, turned them in line so they could make concrete out of them. We want to show how badly we want to desecrate it. Now, very quickly, with the time that I have left, what does this mean to us? When I study Amos, does it have any application to those of us who live in 2014? Now, generations, thousands of years later, yes, it does. God didn't choose professionals. God uses ordinary people to take his message. We bear that burden. God chose men like Peter and Andrew and James and John who were ordinary fishermen. God chose farmers. God chose plain folks to take his message to a world. And you and I can go in places that if you just have these professionals, they can't go. That's why God chose ordinary people. Number two, God judges the nations. I'm fearful that we have developed this idea that the United States that we are or used to be a Christian nation, 
but that if you look to the Middle East, that many of those are Muslim nations, and their God is Allah. Or we look to the many of the Eastern countries, like China, Japan, where they maybe have a worship of their family, ancestor worship, or maybe uh, some of these other religions. And we tend to think, well, they have their God, and that nation has their God, and we have our God as if he just belongs to us. God is the God of the whole world, of every race, nation, tongue, and people. And Amos chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 says, Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me, O children of Israel, says the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaptor, and the Syrians from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on the face of the, or on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. The eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom. He's looking out, and he looks at England. He looks at France. He looks at Israel. He looks at Egypt. He looks at the United States, and God judges each and every nation. In chapter 1, verse 3, through chapter 2 and verse 3, ought to illustrate that real well. Number three, God condemned this inhumanity to man. Can you imagine killing somebody with an instrument of threshing, a sickle? Can you imagine taking women that are pregnant and ripping them open as a gruesome means to try to say, I'm bad, don't you mess with me? Oh, but those things don't happen today. You know what happened just a few weeks ago? Kim Jong-un, the new dictator of North Korea, took his uncle, put him in a cage with vicious dogs that were hungry and allowed him to be torn apart. What do you mean it doesn't happen today? It still happens today. Inhumanity to man... Let's don't just go there. In our country, people take babies and dilate the mother's womb and cut them out. It's called abortion. The abuse that takes place in human cruelty. Taking advantage of the disadvantaged. Those who would take and sell captive Men, women, and little children. Taking the whole captivity captive and selling them. Proverbs 14 verse 31 says, But he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Or chapter 22, 16. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the riches will surely come to poverty. Chapter 22, verse 22, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. Don't take advantage of people just because you can. Does anyone deny that happens today? Then to the Edomites particularly, to the people of Tyre to some degree, you're not showing any brotherly love. 
You made a covenant of brotherhood. You, you made an agreement. You are brethren. Treat one another like brethren. In Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for adversity. When you're having a difficult time, you should be able to look to your family and say, I need help. And know that your family would help you. Genesis 4, verse 9. You remember the famous question that Cain asked. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, you are. Amos said what God wanted said. And Lord willing, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of that. He was plain and to the point. He didn't have all these beautiful platitudes of the way he would express himself. This is what God says, and you've got to do it. He condemns sin in the world and among God's people. You know, folks, we can condemn sin in the world and ignore it among ourselves and not do the right thing. We've got to sit among ourselves as well. I want to end with one verse, and if you will, go ahead and pull your songbook out. The song is Prepare to Meet God. And here is chapter 4, verse 12. Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Prepare to meet your God. Are you prepared this morning? If you're not a Christian, you're not prepared. You're not ready. You are lost. What better way could you begin a new year than by making the right decision to be a New Testament Christian? You come and we'll baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian and your life is not right as the people of Israel was not, come back and be restored to faithfulness to God. Would you come while we stand and sing?